so good to see you this morning. You remember last week, we're talking about this section of Scripture in John 15. Jesus is leaving the upper room, and as they walk out of the city, crossing the brook Kedron to the Mount of Olives, and you remember what's going to happen in Gethsemane. Remember, Gethsemane is the location of the wine press. The wine press. And as Jesus passes these this vineyard, all these vines growing and the fruit and all of, you know, the trellis and the, you know how vines do travel here and there and yonder. <clears throat> he says, I am the true vine. You are the branches. And in that one statement, I, I don't think it's, I'm going too far off on this. Maybe not at all. I believe in that one statement and then the verses that follow as an elaboration of that first statement. I believe what we have here is Jesus saying before he goes to the cross, before I leave you, I want to share with you the way God fulfills his entire intention for his people. Which intention will begin to be manifested in the very near future. And that intention is this, and I'll talk about it more next week. We won't get to it today. <clears throat> is perhaps, maybe not even perhaps, is the most astounding and breathtaking way that God and his people relate. A way in which no other religious system even begins to hint about. And so I'll give you this word this week. It's not in your notes. This is free. It's called, I'll call it a, two or three different words, union. But we've all heard the word union before. So I'll give you another term, and we'll, next week, I think next week we'll talk about a Greek term. But not only union, but mutual indwelling. Mutual indwelling. It's not in your notes. And I want you to keep that phrase in your mind as I try to go through Psalm 80 today. But I do want us to get the impact here. Because what I am concerned about is that when this set of verses is taught or preached about, as I, I think happens so often 
concerning other texts, passages. The core, the central significance is not made the principal significance. But when we look at this set of verses in chapter 15 about the mutual indwelling of the vine and the branches, usually the emphasis is being taught about how to bear fruit and how to, right? We see that. That's the mantra usually, the activity. That is not Jesus' emphasis. Well, that's what he talked about. Yeah, because he is describing the effect of that most astounding way that God is glorified in his people. Just one way. Through the mutual indwelling of God in his people and his people in God. So I only say that this morning to throw that out, if you would, as a canopy under which these verses must be understood or a foundation upon which these verses must be understood, whichever analogy you prefer. So we don't make the secondary primary, but we keep the primary primary so the secondary has its proper place and meaning and actually we can then begin to experience the reality of the primary through the secondary. Is that okay to say it that way? Father, thank you. What a revelation. Thank you, Father. Speak to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. You remember last week we saw that I am the vine, you are the branches. And when Jesus uses this analogy, he's referring to Israel as being God's vineyard. Remember in Isaiah chapter 5, Israel, the house of, Israel is the vine of the Lord, the whole house of Israel. God uses Israel as an example, an analogy of a vineyard that is planted upon the earth. And this vineyard is to be what? Fruitful and multiply. You remember Genesis one twenty eight, As Adam and Eve were to be fruitful and multiply. And the ability to be fruitful and multiply was there dwelling in the fellowship with God, which as they dwelt and abided, abode maybe, in God the right way, their obedience would be the fruit of that abiding, correct? But they failed because of sin. So God established Israel as, if you would, a type of Adam, another man, the this, his son, Israel, he calls Israel his son in Exodus 20. Remember, my son is in captivity. And so Israel now becomes 
if you would, the type of the vine that God is going to grow upon the earth. And this nation is to be fruitful and it is to multiply. For what purpose? Only one purpose. So that the earth may be filled with the glory of God. Remember Habakkuk 2.14. So that the earth may be filled with the fruit of the presence, the glory, the character, the revelation of God himself. That was the purpose of Israel. And, of course, we saw Israel failed in that. They failed. But the analogy still stands and must be fulfilled. And so we read in Isaiah 5, 5, this is what happened. The Lord removed, talking about the vine is Israel, removed its hedge, its protection, and it will be consumed. I will break down its wall and I will become, it will become a trampled ground. Because of sin, God's vineyard, Israel, became a trampled ground, no longer able to produce the fruit of God's own righteousness, the fruit of the very presence of God, the fruit of the very revelation of the nature and character of God, the fruit that declared, that expressed, manifested the glory of this Yahweh, this God of Israel. So by the time we get to Psalm 80, remember we said all that Jesus has said and done must be verified in the Old Testament, in the Tanakh. Do we get that by now? Everything that Jesus, about the person and work of Jesus, must be verified. The, the seed or the root of the person and work of Christ is in the Old Testament. And so there is no fruit in the Old Testament about Jesus that is not first in root form in the Old Testament. We must see that. The connection is absolute. So by the time we get to Psalm 80, Israel had already become the trampling, trampling ground. It had become a trampled ground. Remember the Assyrian Empire came in and in 722, 721, 22, however you like to date that, the Assyrian Empire came in, destroyed the uh, northern kingdom, uh, took away most of the people we call that the diaspora and Samaria, you know, destroyed that and so on. So no more northern kingdom because of sin. And so the psalmist in, in Psalm 80 cries out to God. And so in verses 3, 7, and 19, he said, God, restore us, restore us, help us, bring us back, save us. Do we find in our own lives that we are either have that either we have gone through or perhaps presently in a situation where we are crying out to God, restore us? Anybody ever called out to God to restore? Anybody at all? Restore us. Restore us. And so this psalmist sees the devastation of God's vineyard. And he cries out in anguish, restore us. This is a, a, a lamentation. But you see, it's not a plea of hopelessness, and neither should our pleas be. Because as we read in verse one, verses 1 to 13, this psalm, like all the psalms, is a prophetic prayer or a prophetic song or whatever it will be. It's God using the psalmist 
it is the Holy Spirit using the psalmist to communicate God's purpose, God's thoughts, God's attitude. And so when you see these psalms, for instance, and the psalmist is praying in a particular way, or Nehemiah is praying in a particular way, or Daniel is praying in a particular way, or all of these men and women, Hannah, you remember, praying in a particular way. They are praying. But they are not the source of the prayer. But what is... Romans 8 say about the Holy Spirit. He helps what? He intervenes when we're praying to do what? To pray through us because we don't know what to say. Do you remember that? And so what you see in this prayer, and not only this one, but in all these in the Old Testament like this. The person is under a burden and concerns and fears and hopes and whatever come upon him or her. And that person begins to call out to God. That is the work of God's Holy Spirit in that person's heart and mind. Moving in such a way that all I know, Daniel, is that I had to pray. I just felt compelled to pray. That's true. But who is the author of that prayer? Come on. The Holy Spirit. So have any of us ever been in a situation where we are praying for something or someone, whatever? And have we realized that that prayer is the Holy Spirit's prayer in me and through me for the accomplishment of God's purpose? Amen. So it's not just important to know the psalmist prayed. We ought to pray. Yes. But we must get to the root of what the prayer is. The root of these prayers is the fruit of the Holy Spirit speaking in us. And therefore what? Through us. Amen. Let's make sure we see that. So this psalmist is burdened down. And God comes upon him and burdens him. So he can begin to say, oh God, what's happening? What's happening? Restore us. Help us. Come to our aid. Because you see, that's when God is mostly glorified. As we call out in the desperation of our own weakness and helplessness. To a God who is able to do all things according to his character. And so you see that in this prayer. And God is using this prayer as a prophetic indicator of someone who will restore, not Israel specifically, not people specifically, but restore his purpose in and through his people. Do we see that? So when the psalmist says restore us, he understands, obviously, it is us. But what is God after, Flo? He is after the restoration of the glory of his fruit or the glory that he is being manifested through the fruit. Do we see that? So God is after the restoration of his people. But why? 
So the purpose for which he has created us will be fulfilled. Do we see it? Let's make sure we get off the center of humanity and us and our circumstances and move to the real center that this is from God, for God, and what? And all about God. Amen? Do we see that? So the psalmist is calling out to God, restore us, restore us. Why? Because we are the people of your glory. That's the central line. So listen how he begins it. It is a prayer of anguish, but also filled with confident expectation. Oh, I'm going to try to get through this all today. Oh, give ear, shepherd of Israel. And then he goes, you led Joseph, you're enthroned, stir up by your power, save us, God restores. But what is the key phrase here in this prayer? When we read this prayer like many, how does this man begin it? How does the Holy Spirit give this psalmist to begin? What is the Holy Spirit saying to this man about God? Give ear what? What does it say? Do you have it? Somebody, what? Shepherd of Israel. Shepherd. With that terminology, we should see that this is not a hopeless prayer of wringing my hands. Oh, my God, what's going on? What are you doing? Why did you do this? When are you going to do it? I understand the, the feeling of that. But every time we raise our voice to God for whatever purpose, we're speaking to our shepherd. Our shepherd. Who is more intimately involved with and knowledgeable of, et cetera, et cetera, who we are, what's going on, and all that, than we ever could be. And that his every decision, and we won't like this, his every decision, Whatever that is and however it works out is for your betterment in Christ. Right? How many of us have prayed for loved ones who were dying and they died? Come on. I think most of us are there. Do we see that that person for whom we prayed, God did for that person what was best for that person because it exemplified his glory we may not see it here but we will see it in eternity or the person may live whatever shepherd remember shepherd in psalm 23 and so this is that kind of a prayer in psalm 23 4 what does psalm 23 4 say remember that even though I walk th through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. This psalmist starts out that way. We're in the shadow of death right now. But even though I walk through this valley of the shadow of death, I'm not going to fear any evil. Why? Because my shepherd is with me and I am with him 
we see that. So then in verses 8 to 11, the psalmist remembers the Lord's tender care for his vine. With the shepherd in mind, he remembers the little history. He said, you removed a vine from Egypt. Remember in Exodus when the Lord brought his vine out of Egypt, delivered them, called Exodus, Passover, crossing the Red Sea? You drove out the nations and planted your vine. Remember, that was in Joshua and Judges. You cleared the ground before it, and it took deep root and filled the land. It was fulfilling God's purpose. But then in verse 12, we see a nominous note. You have broken down the hedges, the walls, the protection of your own vineyard. You've done this for what purpose? Because of Israel's obdurate pride. Do you know what obdurate means? Anybody in here know what obdurate means? Obdurate, persistent, unrelenting, persistent pride and ceaseless sin. Because of that, the Lord used Assyria to cause a vine to become trampled ground. Now, did we also see what I said? I only said what the Bible says. It doesn't say the Lord allowed Assyria to come in here and destroy Israel. Does it say that? No. The emphasis is what? I called. I whistled. Hey, 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 you out there, Assyria. Oh, come here. Come here. Come be used as the instrument of my discipline upon my people but did God do that on purpose Bishop or did he just allow it Kristen yes the answer is yes did he do it on purpose did he allow it yes it's both because you better believe ain't no Assyria coming up and destroying God's vineyard without God being involved in that that just didn't happen. Oh, wow. Wow. Ooh, what am I going to do now? This is God's predetermined plan, as we see in the death of Jesus in Acts chapter 2. It is God's predetermined plan to bring about in some way that we don't understand and we're not going to understand it and we don't even need to ask anymore because it ain't going to be given to us, Deuteronomy 29, to bring about the coming of the Messiah. And the inauguration of the great day of the Lord. For our good. But you see, even in the midst of this destruction. In verse 14, the psalmist turns his attention to the shepherd of Israel. And listen what he said. In the midst of the destruction. Help, help, help. Get us out of there. Look what's happening. You, you, you took us out. You did this and that. We got trampled now. Help. Then verse 14. Oh God of hosts. Turn again. What does that mean? They've been in this situation before. And the Lord has delivered them in the past. Turn again and do what? We beseech you, look down from heaven and see, and what? Take care of this vine. As a shepherd, as a tender gardener. Now listen, did you just hear what I said? 
What was the reference? As a tender gardener. What is the reference to what set of verses? John chapter 15. You see it? That's John chapter 15 right there. See it. See it. As a take care of the vine. Jesus says, I am the vine. My father is the what? The tender gardener. The vine dresser. He's going to take care of the vine in me. And I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to cause in you God's tender care that is manifested and has been accomplished by me in my death and resurrection. Take care of the vine. That's chapter 15 of John right there. Right there. Then in 17a, the first sentence in verse 7, um, the first part of the statement in verse 17 the emphasis of God's prayer, the, uh, the uh, psalmist's prayer becomes a prayer of confident expectation and restore, restoration. Help us. Help us. You've done this in the past. You've done this in the past. He remembers the word. He remembers what God has done. He remembers God's faithfulness to keep his word. Take care of the vine. And then what does he say in verse 17, the first part of it? He said this, the Lord what? Oh, I hope some kind of way God comes through. I hope God hears my prayer. Oh, I, I know, you know. And, and let, me, let me tell you how I'm going to. Pharaoh, I'm going to tell you how I'm going to help God. I'm going to help God. Because well, let, let's face it, when we're in a pickle, God needs help. He needs help. You see, Adam, he may not hear me, but if I'm, I'm, in, a, I'm in trouble, so I'm going to read my Bible more today. I'm going to stop watching that television program that I watch once a week that I know by the Holy Spirit I shouldn't be. But I'm going to stop it today, angel, because, see, I need God in a special way. I'm going to stop that. See, I'm going to do some things that facilitate God's Intervention, Joe. I'm going to help God. Do you see it? I'm going to do stuff for him. I'm going to start working for God. Well, that's man-centered work, righteousness. The only reason God helps us is because in Christ, he is faithful to do in us what he said he would. Now, how many of us can admit it? Come on. I, I, I'm still, I still do it. How many of us are going to kind of alter our behavior a little bit or some kind of way because we need something? Come on, come on, really, let's raise your hand if you really. Haven't you done that before? Certainly we have. Is it godly? No. So when we feel and when we realize that we know, does it, how many of you know this man? Wait a minute, hold on, hold on, man. How many of you know this man? This is Donnie Smith. And where's his mama? Sue, Okay. He thought he could sneak in here without being noticed. And that ain't happening, brother. What was I talking about before Donnie, inter I mean, Donnie interrupted me? This, so I said Smith, Silver, before he interrupted me. What was I talking about? Charles, what was I talking about? You don't know? You were sleeping too? I was too. What? Ah. 
the moment you find yourself doing that, look, look, you will find yourself doing it. Stop. Say, Lord, I'm on the wrong ground. I need this from you. And yes, I shouldn't be watching that program. I shouldn't be thinking those thoughts. You're right. But I repent of that. But what I need is you. Your faithfulness, not because I've done something, but because I am in relationship to God in Christ. Amen. So the psalmist says, what does he say in verse 17? What's going to happen? God's going to win. He's going to restore us. Why? Why? Because you see, God has made a promise that the fruit of the vine that he has planted in the earth called the church will accomplish his purpose. Where is that statement first made in scripture? Somebody said it. You, you, Genesis what? One twenty-six. We, we, we may stop here. We don't go back to the root. What is the root? Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. <clears throat> Let's have a people on the earth in whom I dwell and they dwell in me. me this mutual indwelling. So that in their lives, the fruit of their lives will be the manifestation of the glory of my nature and my character. Amen? That's the promise that God made. He said, we're going to do it. And what God begins, he will certainly end. That's the basis of it. Always remember, go back to the root. Excuse me, I need to take a break. <clears throat> the old radiator needs it. <coughs> now, hold on. Now look. <clears throat> look at verse 17b. Extremely significant. <clears throat> this Second part of verse 17 speaks to what Jesus is saying in John 15. What does he say? I am the vine, I am the true vine, and you are the branches. That must be verified in the Old Testament if it's true. So we've been speaking about the vineyard in chapter 80 or Psalm 80, whichever way you like to refer to it, correct? We've been talking about the vineyard. He says, you're going to restore your vineyard. You're going to redo it. Verse 17b, the second part of verse 17, tells us <clears throat> in and by whom he's going to restore this vineyard. Look, this is written a, a thousand years before Jesus is alive. How is he going to do it? By the man of, of your right hand. Upon the son of man whom you made strong for yourself. Look at that. Right there. 
you see very clear verification of the prophetic activity of God, the promise of God, of how and in whom and through whom he will restore his glory in his people by restoring his people for the purpose of declaring his glory in them and through them. The man at your right hand, you remember this? There is a man who is sitting at the right hand of God who has all authority in heaven and earth. He's sitting at the right hand. You remember in Acts 7 when Stephen is preaching and he turns and looks at the Pharisees and all these folks who are listening to him. He said, you stiff-necked people, you've always resisted the Lord. You remember that? And all of a sudden they, they picked up what? stones and began to stone him. Remember the apostle Paul is there as a young man holding the cloaks, cloaks and, and, and uh, what do you call it? consenting to this. And what does Stephen say? I think it's in verse 55 of 7. He looks up to heaven and as he's being stoned, what does he say? <clears throat> I see the son of man standing at the right hand of God. Well, I thought he was sitting. In Hebrews, he's sitting. If he's sitting, why is he standing? He is sitting as to the accomplished work of our salvation. And he is standing as the general overseeing the battle for his purpose to be won by the Holy Spirit whom he sends to us. Got it? He both stands and he sits. And he's doing both at the same time. He is standing as to the battle that we're in. And he is sitting as to the accomplishment of saving us and bringing us into himself. This is seen right here. The Son of Man. Remember that great title. Jesus' favorite title. God has made him strong. He's given him all authority in heaven and earth. That's the man whom this psalm is talking about. <clears throat> Someone is coming. Someone is coming. And in this man will be the absolute and complete fulfillment of all of God's purpose. In the person of this man, as manifested through the ministry or the work or the life of this man. And so that the purpose of God and the presence of God in this man and the activity of this man are seen to be in moral correspondence or combine, if you would, or mutually indwell. Because what you see in the activity of Jesus is the person of God. They both together. Are one. And this is the man who is sitting at the right hand of the Father as to our salvation and standing as to our sanctification. Correct? Standing as to our sanctification. This is going to be accomplished through this man. Then in verse 18, look at the great expectation. Look how he ends it. Then, I want to just think of the word then. Hold it in your mind for a moment. Then. When, then, when, when, then, then we shall not turn back from you, O Lord. 
Revive us and we will call upon your name. Remember in Romans 10, they that call. O Lord God of hosts, restore us. Cause your face to shine upon us and we will be saved. When is then? When is the day that God's purpose of mutually indwelling with his people becomes a living reality upon the earth? When does it begin? I can't hear you. Pentecost. Today is what Sunday? Pentecost. Today. Today is our remembering of that day so many years ago. When the eternal purpose of God, as stated in Genesis 1, 26 through 28, finally is here. That the Father is in us and we are in the Father. So that his glory may be manifested. So, when Aaron comes out of the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement, having sacrificed for the sin of the nations for a year, he comes out, and as he stands before the people, he says what? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you, and what? I went brain dead there for what? For what? And what? And then may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. I just forgot. Peace. He brings forth out of the tabernacle, having made sacrifice for the sin. That sacrifice having been accepted. Why? Because Aaron comes back. Jesus comes back from the tomb. The sacrifice is accepted. And the first thing he does when he gets together with his disciples, what does he say? Peace. This is a truncated form of the ironic Aaron prayer of the high priest to say to the people, God has accepted my sacrifice. And you are now at peace with him. Is this amazing or not? So next week we're going to talk about the incredible activity of God. In bringing about the vine and the branches as one. Thank you.